here lying on the table in front of me. We have bread and we have wine. We have the elements of communion. Why? Uh, Because later this morning we shall remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we know, don't we, that for salvation there has to be more than just a belief in the uh, historical reality of Jesus' crucifixion. We know that there has to be uh, some understanding of the spiritual realities that took place at the cross of the Lord Jesus. So what were they? I mean, what, what was it that was happening that day? You know, as, as the nails went in, and as the, the darkness that we read about, as it engulfed Calvary, and as Jesus' life, it came to this abrupt end, what was going on there? What was it that was happening? What caused this death to come about? Well, this morning, uh, what we're going to do together is consider some verses in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. So please just let me give context. Here, uh, what Isaiah is doing is he is giving a prophetic word uh, to a group of people who would be in, in, in captivity or exile in Babylon. But I think what you must appreciate is that these were a group of people who had and were asking one fundamental question. You see, what did they know? They knew that they were wicked. They knew that they were in captivity. Why? Because they had rebelled against the Lord their God. And you see, what had just been promised to them in the previous section of the book? God had promised them incredible blessing. He had promised them incredible grace. He had even promised them a savior to save them from their sins. So do you see the question that they are asking? How is that possible? How could God possibly bless them and still remain consistent to the justice of his character? How could he, a holy God and a righteous God, how could he possibly save them, these wicked sinners? How could he extend to them grace? What we're going to do just now in our time together is really sort of zero in on a particular section here. Yes, we zoom in, we zero in on the servant section of the book of Isaiah. So that is from chapters 38 to 55, the servant section of Isaiah. Yes, we're going to go a little bit further than that. We're going to zero in on the fourth of what are four servant songs in that section. But we're actually going to go even further than that. We are going to zero in on and focus on the central section of this fourth song from verses four to six. And as we do that, friends, you know what we're going to see? Not only are we going to see in these verses the answer to that question about God's justice, but we are going to see here today, and these words, they get this, were written over 700 years before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see here something of the spiritual realities 
of Calvary. Today we're going to see the logic, but we shall see the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ. So I would ask you as a congregation to please, if you haven't already done so, to please turn with me in God's Word and to have Isaiah chapter 53 open in front of you. It is on page 740 if you're using uh, the Pew Bible. And let's consider first of all that Jesus' death, it was a substitutionary death. It was a substitutionary death. So what we're dealing with here is a poem, if you like. It is a, it is a song. Uh, but who is it that is, is speaking at this point? Well, let me tell you that the voice here changes uh, a number of times throughout the song and throughout this chapter. But in the portion that we are considering just now, the voice that we are hearing is the voice of the people of Israel. It is the, po- uh, the voice of the people of God. So let me say this to you. For your benefit this morning, would you visualize yourself amongst that crowd? Would you count yourself today amongst that people? And when you do that, do you see today where it is that we must place ourselves? Like, where are we here in Isaiah 53? Do you see where we are? We are standing today at the cross. That you and I this morning, that we are standing together and we are looking on from Calvary Hill. So what is it, friends, that we see there? Well, in the two previous stanzas here, the primary theme has really been the utter humiliation of the main character of the servant. Can I say to you, his humiliation is complete I mean, just look at this. Look at verse 14 of chapter 52 and hear what is said. The people look on, they are appalled at his appearance. That's what we're seeing. Look at it. He was utterly disfigured. And his form, do you see, marred beyond human likeness. We are told, then it goes on, he is, what do we see? He is despised. He's rejected. He is a man of sorrows. Do you not agree with me? It's the most, uh, almost disgusting. It is the most awful image we see. Now, if we're going to understand this, what I think we have to appreciate is the view that the ancients had of suffering. You see, they believed that a person always got what was coming to them. And so now do you see it? They're looking on and they're thinking, this man, to be in a situation like this, to be in a predicament like this, to be suffering in this way, this man must have done something atrocious. I mean, this man must have done something unspeakably, almost unimaginably wicked. But then, do you see what happens in the text? All of a sudden... There is this moment of shock. There is this moment of epi- 
epiphany here. See, enter into our section this morning. It is almost as though this ripple goes out amongst the crowd and, and the people there, they begin to hold their head in their hands. They begin to wail because do you see what they realize? They realize, no, this man is not getting what he deserves. This man is not suffering for what he has done. Look what they say in verse 4. They shout out in shock. Surely he took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Do you see? They realize he's suffering for them. That he is not suffering the shame and the humiliation and the pain that that he deserves. That he is suffering the pain and the shame and the horror that they deserve. That he is standing in their place. Now the principle that that you and I are dealing with here, the, the principle of substitution, it lies at the very heart of Old Testament scripture, doesn't it? Like we see it on Moriah with a uh, Abraham's replacement of Isaac with a ram. Don't we? A substitution. Uh, We also see it throughout the Mosaic law, do we not? With the animals replacing the people of God in the sacrifice. But you agree with me here, do you not? That this is entirely different, isn't it? Here, this is a man who is standing in to face the torture and the suffering for other men. And so, friends... Surely you see here what we learn about the very nature of the cross of Jesus Christ. Would you do this with me? Would you consider just for a moment Gethsemane? I mean, what was that? What was that about? As the Lord Jesus Christ there, as he, what happened in Gethsemane, as he pleaded in prayer, didn't he? And as he, as he wept, what else did he, he sweated blood. What is going on here? What is that about? Do you not see? In the garden, at that very point, the Lord Jesus Christ was bearing all of the emotional terror that you were due to bear over an eternity in hell. That in those moments, what was he doing? He was taking up your infirmity. In those moments, through the tears, taking up, carrying your sorrow. That he would go on and do that increasingly over the next few hours. Don't you see? It was for us. It was for you. It was a substitution. We should have been there. He did it in our place. And so surely when we see that, the shock and the awe that that flows over this crowd in Isaiah 53, does it not flow over us at London City Presbyterian Church? Because what are we seeing here? We're seeing the answer to the question. How is it that a holy God could save you and me and remain just? What would he do? He would do it through the principle of substitution. He would place somebody else in our stead. 
is the majesty of this. Is it not beyond compare? No wonder the people of God delight to sing. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Are you seeing this? The cross? It was not just a death, was it? It was a death for you. The second thing we see here is that the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, it was an atoning death. It was an atoning death. Now, I think truly we have seen in these verses here uh, one of the greatest mysteries of all of eternity. Do you not think so? I mean, why, why, why was it that the Lord of glory, why was it that the very Son of God was there being held and dying on a cross? Why? We see the answer. It was for you and for me. But there is something here, a matter that is still unanswered. Because, friends, what was the purpose of the death? Like, yes, we see, we agree, I'm sure, that we see that, that he was there for us. But what was he doing? Like, what was it that, that actually caused this death to be necessary? What was it that caused this death to be due? Well, in Isaiah chapter 53, what I think we see are great truths about the nature of sin. Because there is this wonderful moment in the chapter. It's a, it's a moment of mutual awareness and conversation that takes place. In verse 6, what happens is that the people, now realizing that this servant, this man has been suffering for, for them, they now all turn to each other, the people of Israel. They look at each other and they acknowledge. They acknowledge the reason why he is suffering. And I wonder, if you've got your Bibles there, if you notice the image that they use to speak of themselves. What do they call themselves? They call themselves sheep. Why would anybody refer to themselves as sheep? Well, a few years ago, a number of years ago now, when I was in seminary, I studied with a man from a very small island uh, off uh, the west coast of Scotland. And... Uh, this was a man who, who I think was brought up and spent most of his life in what was called a croft, surrounded by uh, farm animals. And in seminary, uh, he would speak to us really about the stupidity of sheep. He really would. And uh, he would say that regardless of where you put sheep, one thing you can be guaranteed is that these sheep are going to wander away. They're going to they're go. Now, we know that. You and I know that. The interesting thing, or what I thought was interesting at the time, was that he said that, yes, sheep are going to wander away, but they don't do that en masse. 
You see what I mean? They don't do it as a group. Now, you can be absolutely guaranteed that sheep are going to, okay, if you put them down, if you move them somewhere, unless they're enclosed, they're going to wander away. But they're going to do that individually. They're going to do that sort of separately, sort of mindlessly wandering away by themselves. And is that not what the people of God say of themselves here? Look what they say. They say, like sheep, we have gone astray. But what do they add to that? They say, each of us has turned to our own way. So do you see the truth? Yes, they have all of them wandered away. This is a corporate truth, this rebellion. It is a, it is a, a universal truth, this wandering away in rebellion. But it is also an individual truth. Do you see? It's not just that they are all tarred with the same brush. It is that each and every single one of them has strayed from God and that each and every single one of them is due the punishment for that sin. And so no wonder then there is this sense of bewilderment and sense of joy in this chapter because I ask you this what is it exactly that these people have realized it is that God is not just going to send a substitute do you see they've realized it's it's more than that it is better than that what is the substitute going to do look at verse 5 what do they realize he was pierced for our what transgressions that he was tra- he was crushed for what our iniquity the people realize that the servant is not just suffering for them that this servant is actually suffering there and then for their sin that he's bearing it that he's bearing and carrying the guilt that he's bearing and carrying the punishment for the sin Surely, Christian friend, you can this morning see through this and you see through to the light at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you not? Because let me say this to you. What is it we are? You and I this morning, what are we? Are we not sheep? Have we not each of us gone astray? And yet, do you not see what it is that God has done for you and I as Christians? He's not just found a replacement. He's not just provided a standing. What has he done? He's provided a sin-bearing substitute for us as sheep. What has he done but provide a lamb? And the lamb who would come and take away the sins of the world. And so I ask you in the face of this this morning, do you not find a wave of loathing, loathing rise up within you? Do you not this morning find yourself hating your sin? Because consider what it has meant for your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear me on this. This word pierced that is used of the suffering servant, it is the strongest available 
Hebrew word for a violent death. The word crushed, it means to trample on, to death. And this is what our Lord Jesus has endured for his people. Do you not hate your sin? Do you not want to fight your sin, to mortify your sin as the people of God? Ah, but most supremely this morning, is there not also a wave of praise and joy that rises within you? Is there not? Because think about what it is we are seeing here. We are seeing that on the cross, there was the perfect, pure, righteous, holy Son of God, the one least deserving of this death. And what has he done for you? Yes, you say to me, he suffered for me. He has. He has. And you say, he's died for me. And he has. But what happened there? He became sin. And why? So that you might become the very righteousness of God. I mean, what mystery in that? What wonder, what love is there? Do you see? Friends, there was a substitute at the cross, wasn't there? But how we should praise our God today. Because he was a substitute that bore our sin. And then thirdly, and lastly, we see that this was also a planned day. We're told often, aren't we, that there is beauty to be found in symmetry. Isn't that right? We're told that there is beauty in order. There is beauty to be found in structure. That is certainly the case in this poem. Um, as you'll have no doubt noticed, there are five stanzas to this song. Two sitting either side of this central section that we are focusing on. Beautiful symmetry. There is also glorious order in the very section that we are focusing on. There are three Verses there, off, listen, nearly equal length. Now, I say nearly, nearly. Because what you must appreciate is that the last line of verse 6, the last line of this stanza, the original, it is longer, noticeably longer than the rest uh, of the section. And it's longer, why do you think it's longer? It is longer to draw our attention to what it says. So, let me read this last line to you again. You consider these words. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I need to say this. But in actual fact, the emphasis of the whole section, it falls on three words. 
It falls on the first three words. And the Lord has done this. And the Lord has laid in him the iniquity of us all. Now you consider with me for a moment what that teaches us about the cross of Calvary. Do you see what it means? It means that all of this, the disfigurement and the horror and the shame of it all and the humiliation and all of the pain, all of it, that it was entirely in keeping with the will and the plan of God the Father. Do you hear me? It was in keeping with His will. And in fact, we need to, we must go further than that. See, let me ask you this. Who was it at Calvary who was punishing the Lord Jesus Christ? How would you answer that? You see, yes, it's it's the Jews. They called, didn't they, for uh, Jesus to put to, to be put to death? You see, yes, okay, uh, yes, it was the Romans. Okay, you know, they 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 nailed the hands and the feet of our Savior to the cross. Yes, it was you, and yes, it was me, and our sin who held him there. But who was it? that was spiritually punishing our Lord upon the cross? Do you not see the answer to that question? It was God. It was the Father who poured out His wrath at sin upon His only, His beloved Son. Does that, is that difficult for you to take? Does that sound harsh to your ear when you listen to verse 10? And it was the Lord's will. It was the Lord's will to crush it. And friends, when we return to our section and to verse 6, surely what we must do is acknowledge the familiarity of the language. Is it not familiar to you? Let me read it again. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Does it not ring a bell? Is it not familiar? That as in the Old Testament day of atonement, that the high priest took the scapegoat and laid his hands upon that goat's head and symbolically transferred the the sin of the people to that animal, do you not see now what was happening at the cross in the darkness that fell? What was happening? Our God was acting as priest, that he laid on him the iniquity of us all, that he actually transferred our sin to his son, the son that he loved. Is it not the most incredible moment in all of human history? God, the Father, punishing God, the Son. And why? For our very sin. Friends, I ain't here. I ask you this. Do you see more clearly this morning the spiritual wonders and realities of the cross. Do you see what was going on there? 
God was providing a way to save you and to do so justly. What a cost. Our Lord, he took a place. He took our punishment and he took the wrath of a father that loved him so, so, so much. Friends, would you do this with me today? Would you take all that we have seen in Isaiah 53 and would you take it with you to the table? Would you do that today? If you are saved by the blood of the Lamb, would you weep over these things? Would you ponder and pray over these things? Would you even rejoice over these things? But take them here, today, this morning. Take them to the table. And shall we not, the people of God today, shall we not remember the Lord's death until he comes? Let's pray.